Welcome to the Extraordinary Me podcast, where ordinary people choose the extraordinary. Hosted by Coach Adam. Welcome to the Extraordinary Me program podcast. I am your host, Coach Adam, and this is the Extraordinary Pearson Gibbis. Welcome, Pearson Gibbis, uh, to the podcast. So tell me about, yeah, I mean, we grew up in Wakanda, Illinois, correct? And parents are Ryan and Jan Gibbis. They've been married for 23 years. And you've got a brother named Brandon who graduated college in 2018, played Division One baseball at UIC, and also played at Madison College, uh, where you are currently right now. And he lives in Chicago. Um, and you come from a larger family. Tell us about that with your cousins. Uh, I have uh, eight out of my 13 uh, cousins live in Wakanda, where I'm at now, and uh, where my family lives. So growing up, I've just been really, really close with all of them. Uh, I have three that are my age, and I mean, they're basically, they're the closest thing to sisters that I have, and uh, the rest of them are a little younger, but I mean, you know, I'm, I I'm try to be like a brother to them and uh, try to be in their lives as much as possible, and it's, it's great. It's, you know, it's uh, different than some people have it, but it's really great to have a, such a close family uh, so close in proximity to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about Wakanda High School, and you grew up playing baseball. You were in travel organizations, correct? Yep. Okay, and uh, what, what did you play, and it's you know, and, and what, when did you start? I started <clears> – sorry, I'm getting over a cold. Absolutely. Uh, I started playing travel baseball when I was nine years old. Uh, I played for the McHenry County Hurricanes. Uh, I started – uh, you know, just kind of wanting to venture out a little bit more, plan, plan uh, some different competition. And, uh, you know, I've traveled, we, I was nine years old, traveling to Omaha, going to New York, going to uh, Indiana, Iowa, just going, you know, traveling all over the country. And uh, it kind of just went from there. You know, some people don't like it. Some kids uh, sway away from it. Some are playing football. And I was the kid that was, uh, I wanted to play spring ball I wanted to play in the summer and I wanted to play fall ball so I mean I you know I, I the my my uh mindset about baseball has never really changed it's always been the one thing for me and I've just fell in love with it since I was little so now did you play any other sports besides baseball or was it just strictly baseball I played basketball growing up but uh once I got to high school I decided to hang that up and I, I really just wanted to train for baseball you know I know a lot of coaches think that play, or say that playing multiple sports is amazing and I, I totally uh, agree with that but you know I just I just in my own personal opinion I wasn't having as much fun and I was having more fun training specifically for baseball yeah so I decided to do that instead so where did the love of baseball begin I gotta ask you that question uh it's it's really run in my family uh for generations you know i had uh i have a great grandpa who played semi-professional baseball uh you know my grandpa played baseball my dad played college ball my brother played college ball and uh it's just been there since i was little i grew up watching my dad play softball and uh basically grew up with a bat in my hand of my own so it's kind of just come from yeah a long lineage and then where did now where did your dad play uh, he played at Oakton and then Milliken. Milliken, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, you know, it's funny. I, I played college baseball myself, and my son also fell in love with it, just about the stories. And across the street, we grew up on a baseball field. Um, it, it doesn't take long to fall in love with this game. No, I agree. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, fully support your statement. Um, and and you played for a while, even through high school. Now, you didn't play high school baseball. You played for your high school, that is. You played travel even through uh, high school, correct? Right. I uh, My freshman and sophomore year, I played for my high school, and then I found a better opportunity for myself playing with the, uh, the hitters baseball up in Wisconsin. Okay. I'm in Caledonia, Wisconsin, and, uh, you know, I just kind of, like I said, found a better opportunity for myself and played there and played with some uh, some really talented players mm-hmm. and uh, loved the coaches, and, you know, I built a really strong relationship with them. And um, <clears throat> you feel it was just more competitive? Is that why you made that decision instead of playing high school baseball? There was just some better competition out there. Uh, it was a really honestly just a better opportunity for myself in my situation that I found myself with high school ball. Um, I went up there and I was playing with uh, guys that were, that ended up getting drafted guys that are playing division one uh, all over the country. And uh, I mean, you know, it went from, I, I, I honestly think that high school baseball uh, eventually is, or has started to fizzle off. Okay. And Personally, I just think that uh, these travel organizations, you find the right guys, you know, we're playing against perfect game in Iowa. Uh, hitters baseball is one of the top uh, teams in the country. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I just I just think the competition and the the aspect of being around guys with the same goals and the same uh, drive as you is extremely important. And that just is why is really the biggest reason and why I chose to go over there. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense, and I and I don't think right. you were alone with that. I think there's value right. to high school teams, and I'm sure you say the same. Um, but but let's be honest: it, travel organizations, club organizations, were all created because student athletes and parents wanted more. Right, and you know, high school high school baseball. Uh, a lot of guys play just to represent their town, just to play. But uh, I have been training to play this sport for a higher purpose since I was young and playing just to play is ab- there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and being on the team. And it's a lot of fun to play with your friends. But, you know, like I said, from a, from a, since I was 10 years old, I've known that <clears throat> I'm a little bit different in my viewpoints. And I wanted to play with guys that would challenge me the most. And, uh, you know, I wanted to play with guys that had similar goals of playing this game for as long as possible. And I think that was the better opportunity for me. I totally understand that. And, and, and I tell everybody I, I work with, you set your outcome, you set what you want to accomplish. And, and by doing so, you adjust to the um, conditions, the parameters and, and, and the practicing and everything you set is is built towards that achievement and accomplishment you want, correct? Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't understand. You chose the hitters and stuck with travel. Um, no, and and here you are, travel baseball. You're 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 setting the high achievement that you want. Um, you're playing a very demanding game, and we have this thing in life called the critical point. And the critical mm-hmm. point I define in in my book and what I do in my program is uh, it's it's the behaviors and decisions of outside people and the behaviors and decisions of yourself that kind of gets you into this critical point. So what, you know, in, in this case, you have a critical point where you are forced into. <clears throat> for you. Right. 
here you are, you're, you're being forced into the situation in which you have to figure out life and, and go ahead and talk about that person. Uh, you know, I was, uh, 16 and I was playing summer baseball with, uh, the pro player hurricanes, my team, uh, a little closer to home on McHenry. And I started, I actually, it's a funny story. We we're playing at grand park in, in Indiana and I hit a foul ball or I hit a foul ball home run. I like to call it. Cause you know, my dad tells me that it's not a home run cause it went foul, but you know, I went over the fence. Exactly. So uh, I hit a ball that went very far, but it ended up uh, hook and foul. Uh, and as soon as I swung, I felt a little click in the the on the left side of my spine, about like my mid back, I'd say. And I ended up actually striking out the next pitch. Uh, swung for the fences, didn't work out. But uh, I went back into the dugout and I sat down, and this uh, this pain in my back felt really weird. I kind of felt t- like tingling up my entire spine, and I, you know, I went back to the hotel that day. I fell asleep that night, and I woke up the next morning and I could barely move, and I had to sit out that next game or that next day. In my life, I've pr- I've sat out maybe three times right. uh, since I was young, and. I uh, had to sit out that game, you know, took that next week of taking it easy and then ended up playing the rest of the summer with this pain to where I, I could barely throw a baseball. I could, uh, it killed the swing. I could barely run. And, uh, you know, I just kind of played through it and I, I was, I was playing. Okay. I was holding my own doing, doing all right. But, uh, you know, throughout this entire summer, I just had, I was playing through this unbearable pain and what I thought was a pulled muscle and uh, about a week before, a week and a half before my 17th birthday, I finally had enough. And I told my parents, and there were some other complications. I told my parents we need to go to the emergency room. Uh, they took me in, and I got some MRIs because they had no clue what was going on. And I found they found uh, tumors in ne- one next to my spine, actually interweaving into my spine. Uh, one on my pelvis, and then they found what they said were skittle-sized spots all over my lungs. And then there were, you know, uh, cancerous cells down my spine and across my pelvis. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's basically, you know, I went to Loyola, Loyola hospital where uh, I did some more testing and found out that I was diagnosed with rhabdomyosarcoma, a pediatric cancer of the muscle bone and connective tissue. And, uh, you know, we kind of went from there. You know, when I was asking you about this, Pearson, you, you kind of wrote something to me that. It was just, um, you know, I got to read this. My life was completely put on hold in the blink of an eye. I was in shock for weeks after my diagnosis. I could not go to school, play baseball, train, or even see my friends. I could not go out to dinner, see movies, be out in public with too many people, and I could not travel. Because of this aggressive, uh, the aggressiveness of my treatment plan, I was very limited in what I could actually do, and especially with who I could see. I mean, what... Tell me just what's going through your mind when the doctor just absolutely lays this news on you right now. Uh, honestly, uh, it's kind of funny. The The first, I honestly haven't really talked to too many people about this, but uh, the first couple things that I thought of when I got diagnosed, uh, I didn't think about myself until about a week and a half in. Um, when I first got told what was going on, my first question, I looked at my doctor. I said, will I be able to play baseball again? And he said, yes. 
And I looked at my dad and I said, okay, well, you know, uh, it's this, I had a treatment plan that was laid out as a 54 week plan, uh, with complications and stuff. It ended up being, you know, around the, probably the mid seventies. It took, you know, probably I'd, I'll throw out a number and say around 75 weeks. Um, I looked at my dad and said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take this year to, you know, 52 weeks in a year. I'm going to take this year to get better, uh, beat whatever this is. And then I'm going to take a gap year. Uh, to train and get myself back into it. And then I'm going to go to Madison and play baseball. You know, I hadn't even talked to, to coach Davenport at the time, but you know, I knew he'd take me. Uh, and I said, I'm going to go play at Madison college. And uh, that's ended up what that ended up happening. But so I, that, that was my first thought. Then, you know, I thought about, uh, I thought about my parents and I thought about, you know, I can't believe I'm putting them through something like this. I'm a freaking 16 year old healthy kid. And I, I, I've never been a problem like this and I can't believe I'm changing their lives along with mine. Uh, I thought of my brother who was playing baseball at UIC at the time. Uh, you know, he, he was at a family party when my parents had to call him and tell him. And I, I mean, I, you know, I, I can't even imagine the stress I put on him. And then I actually had a girlfriend at the time who has, you know, has been through some stuff of her own. And uh, I thought about her and thought about, you know, I can't believe I'm putting her through something like this. And uh, those are my main three thoughts when I first got diagnosed. And it just kind of, that's what kind of built that pit up in my stomach. And then, you know, about a week later, I finally got home after being in the hospital for, I don't know, like 12 days or something. And I said, I remember sitting down on my couch and I looked at my wall and I had a panic attack mm. and, 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 uh, everything just kind of came out. But, you know, my doctors told me I wasn't allowed to go to school. I wasn't allowed to play baseball. Uh, my treatment plan would be extremely aggressive. So I would have no immune system. They said I would probably lose all of my hair, which ended up happening. And, you know, I, 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 I had some pride in my hair at the time. I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, they said I probably wouldn't be able to train and work out, which I had been doing for, you know, damn near 12, 13 years at the time. <laughs> I've been running around since I was about three. Uh, they said I couldn't go out to eat. They said I couldn't eat medium rare steaks because there's too big of a risk in how raw it is. They said, I couldn't eat berries. They said I couldn't have salad. They, you know, they were, I had so many restrictions that I was just like, what, what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there were restrictions that I had to live with and that my mom really, really, really enforced that. I, I think honestly, those are a lot of things that kept me so healthy and saved my life throughout all of it. Um, and you know, it's, it's just, it was such a big change that I was honestly just in shock for a really long time. And it just, I kind of just made myself say, okay, you know, this is happening. I need to go through the motions and I need to live every single day and take it one day at a time, take it one week at a time. And, uh, you know, just it's get through this week. Okay. This week's over, get through next week. Okay. This week's over, get through the next week. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, it's like I said, such a big change in your life and it's the, everything was so aggressive and it was happening so fast that, you couldn't think about the big picture. I just had to take it one day at a time and really had to focus each day on myself and what was happening. Well, everything that you just discussed there is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, all the different highs and lows of the emotions from the first diagnosis and the words they give you. Um, 
you're actually thinking about your parents, your brother, your girlfriend, like you're put, you're feeling you're putting a burden on them. Right. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people probably want question. to give you their entire, you know, if you need a kidney here, take a kidney, you know, whatever you need right. to help you get better. Pearson, you're 16 years old. We want to help you. And you're a 16 year old man sitting there saying, I, I, I feel bad for putting them through the burden. Right. Um, you know, I, my, my dad, my dad's mom, my grandma, uh, passed away from cancer when he was just 19 years old. Uh, so that was really one of the first things I initially thought of. And I said, like, you know, Jesus Christ, I can't believe I'm, I'm putting him through this. And, you know, at the time that my first thoughts were like, I I don't know if I'm going to, if I'll be okay. I don't know what's going to happen. So I, you know, I, that it terrified me and, uh, there really wasn't any room to feel bad for myself. I mean, there was, but you know, other people say there were, but in my head, I wasn't, I just, it, that just wasn't going through my head. Uh, I thought about my mom just because, you know, I mean, that's, I'm her freaking second born. I'm, uh, her baby. And it, that was, yeah, it just, it, it's just, it's just tough. You know, I saw the look on both of their faces when they came in and they were mortified and, I, you know, I cried a couple minutes and then I said, there's literally no point in crying anymore. And I had, I felt that I had to be strong for them because if I, if they thought I was okay, then they'd be okay. And, uh, you know, it's, I, it's tough to answer why, but, uh, I think I've just grown up being taught to, you know, treat others how you'd want to be treated and, you know, be compassionate for others. And at the time it was just like, you know, if I was watching someone and how, how, what could they do to make me feel better? And obviously in this situation, it's pretty hard to say, but I thought being strong for them would make myself stronger and it would make the whole situation stronger and it would really benefit everybody. And obviously I, I mean, throughout everything I had, I had plenty of tough days to where I was, I was not the happiest and I was not the nicest and there were some days when I couldn't be as strong as I wanted to be, but, uh, I mean, throughout all of it, I, it, you know, I grew up really fast and I found out that, uh, you know, others will be there for you, but at the same time, even if you're going through something, you got to put on a smiling face and get through the day so they can get through it a little easier too. Cause let me tell you, it's not, it's really not very easy for them either. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, it's just, I just, I just basically thought about everything they've been through. And, uh, that girl at the time that, you know, we're not together anymore, but you know, she decided to stick with me through everything and she helped me get through a lot too. And, you know, I'll always have a pretty special place in my heart for her. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's just a lot goes into it. My thought process. And, uh, I don't know. I've just, I've always cared about people a lot and the people around me, the people that are important around me, I've always cared about a lot. And, you know, I always put them before me and, uh, that was just kind of, that was just kind of how I went about it. Sounds a little crazy, but, but yeah, just how it happened. You know, Pearson, I have to, as you're talking here, you know, there's two perspectives I'm taking. Number one, as a parent, obviously, you know, I, I'm a graduate of Children's Memorial, which is Lurie's uh, hospital. Um, and I was in there for three months and, and, and it's never easy on parents when your child is getting any type of treatment of any kind. Um, 
you know, and, and as now as a parent, I'm, I'm blessed with four kids. Um, you know, we, we try not to be overprotective, but at the same time, if they get injured in any way, you get devastated. Um, you know, they get this news and, and here you are thinking of them. And even obviously like you have a girlfriend that you're no longer with, but she has a special place in your heart. You know, one of the questions that probably listeners out there are going to say, is this kid for real? And, and, you know, my response to that would be, you know, he's extraordinary. And that's why you're on this podcast is because your story is absolutely extraordinary. And, <clears throat> and you, my friend are extraordinary. Um, and, and, and this leads into, so that was critical point one. Now, we're, now, you know, you get the diagnosis, you have the highs and lows of all these emotions. Now we enter critical point two. And, and what is critical point two, Pearson? You know, the second critical point were uh, the months and months and months of relentless treatment uh, of chemotherapy, radiation therapy, uh, and you know, they, they were brutal. Uh, you know, I had the, in the brunt of it, I was going through radiation and then I would have, uh, five day stays in the hospital, uh, as in like inpatient, I would have five days of chemo of two hours of chemo a day. Uh, then I would be able to go home for, I think it was nine days. And then, you know, that the, after that ninth day, it'd be a Monday again. And then I'd have to go in for, uh, uh, 48 hour treatment of chemotherapy that would keep me in the hospital for, for three days. And then I would get to go home for the remaining 12 or 11 days until those two weeks were up. And then I would restart. I would go five day, three day, five day, three day. And I think I had like seven of each treatment. So seven sets of each treatment. And, uh, I mean, I, I can't even imagine, I can't even explain to you how just how brutal they were um you know it got to a point to where I was just used to puking multiple times a day uh I would you know they would change the smells I would smell they would change the taste I would have uh they would my skin would just hurt uh I I I you know I can't I honestly i've been asked before what chemo feels like and i I can't even explain it to you unless you've gone through the stuff i've been through uh it it was just it was awful and uh you know they were the lowest and most physically painful days during everything um radiation burned my esophagus and my midsection so badly that i was covered in gauze that was just bloody and pussy 24 hours a day I couldn't even swallow water. I couldn't swallow my own saliva. So I was just drooling for months. Um, I lost 60 pounds. I went from 180 pounds to 120. And my doctors forced me to be fed through my port uh, via nutrition, because or it's a certain type of nutrition, because I was literally starving to death. Um, you know, I, I was on morphine from I think a time in February until uh mid-June of that year I like you know 24 hours a day every I take a certain amount of pills every eight hours and I was absolutely miserable you know it, it was the point to where uh to where you know every like <laughs> you know every day was a grind and it's uh 
people, a lot of kids and athletes and stuff, you know, they, they talk about grinding every day, working out, uh, putting in all the work they have. But, you know, in, in my opinion, I, I said it in my speech, you know, I said, you don't know the meaning of a grind until each day is a battle in itself. And these days were when I found that out. Cause every single day I, I wouldn't know if I was going to wake up the next morning. I used to have my mom sleep in my twin size hospital bed, uh, next to me, curled up, holding me because I was terrified. Um, you know, the, the most important thing during that time, during that time was, was strictly surviving each day. And like I said, I was starving to death. I couldn't, I couldn't drink water. I couldn't eat food. I could barely talk because my throat hurt so bad. I had, you know, I, I, I had bloody pussy burns in my esophagus. I had ulcers in my esophagus. Uh, I was these, you know, all this, the radiation was making me throw up three times right when I woke up in the morning, you know, I would be puking throughout the entire day. It, it was just, I, it was awful. Uh, there's really no other way to explain it. And, you know, all the morphine and stuff, I, I was just a zombie, but, uh, um, yeah, just really just the important thing was surviving to me and distracting myself from the pain, trying to get through the days and, uh, you know, uh, trying to, you know, just, yeah, just trying to get through it. You know, Pearson, I'm listening to everything you're saying, being curled up uh, on a bed next to your mom, um, just bloody gauze. Um, you can't hold anything down. You go down 120 pounds. You call it grind. I call it endurance. Um, and, and I tell every student athlete, you know, when you create an achievement goal, uh, I say achievement, but people relate to the word goal. Uh, in life, you have a problem, and the problem is, is you're not there yet. So you've got to, you got to plan, prepare, but at the same time, you got to get through it, which means you got to endure. You know, here I am listening to you, and it's all about survival with you. You're just you're looking to get through it and wondering if tomorrow you can. Just I have to stop you right here and ask, what do you say to a student athlete who you know who wants to quit? Or who who just wants to let the little things or even some big things in life get inside their head, get inside their thought process, and 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 you know, I'm just it'd be so much easier for me to quit and throw in a towel. What do you say to a kid where we're at in this podcast right now? Uh, you know, they're I, uh, it, it depends. It depends who the kid is. It depends, uh, if they're mentally strong, if they're, uh, if they can hear what I'm saying, cause you know, uh, my, my baseball team that I'm on right now, you know, I, I, these guys hear a lot from me and, you know, so I, I joke a lot. I, you know, I make some dark jokes because that's how I, that's how I cope with things. But, uh, you know, if I hear somebody making excuse, if I hear somebody slacking, and you're my friend and I care about you and I want to hold you accountable and I want to make you better then I I'll, I'll walk up to you and just, just flat out tell you to stop. Um, you know, I, I pick guys, I try to be supportive. I try to pick guys heads up. I try to, uh, you know, give them high fives when they deserve it. And when they, you know, when they, when they want it and need it. But, uh, you know, when, when guys, uh, are slacking and are, you know, if they are third telling my, or, you know, making excuses and stuff like that, I, I, I'm pretty blunt with them. It's, you know, I, 
it's hard from everything I've been through. It's hard to have the patience with some people that, that don't get it. And I need to realize that they really don't get it. But at the same time, I think a lot of guys, uh, do need that, uh, little bit of realization of what they, you know, who they are and what they are and what they need to focus on. Because if you, I believe if you truly want it, then you can achieve it. And, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of guys take, you know, I, I think the biggest thing would be saying a lot of guys take things for granted. A lot of guys take their health for their health for granted. A lot of guys take uh, their opportunities for granted and they take their talent for granted. And, uh, you know, I see a lot of people that I've been around in my life that have not lived up to the potential that they that they have. And it's frustrating to me. Because you know I'm I'm a guy that lost everything and I work my ass off every day and it's it's you know it's it's just tough but uh you know I think I, I I'm pretty blunt with guys and <laughs> ask anybody and <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I'm annoying sometimes but I I think I think it's important to be real with people I I I, I agree with you uh, in that I didn't realize until a lot of my playing career was over but blunt and being real is needed. And I know my kid get it from me, um, and that's how I am. And when I mentor and coach, there does come a time where you have to be blunt and real because we got to make sure the points across, and we we correct the ship, and, and we get in the direction that we're all we're both looking to go. Um, so I appreciate those words, and, and and I'm sure that people listening will very much connect to that, which will bring us to critical point three here, Pearson. And and you know one of the things I I've studied at length is, is, uh, Dr. Victor Frankel and, uh, Dick, Dr. Victor Frankel spent, um, four years in various, uh, Holocaust camps. And one of the things he had discussed in, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning was that, you know, the day that survivors were liberated, um, there were many that didn't know how to live again. And, you know, they had survived for that period of time, which was just horrific, and, you know, now it's like, okay, freedom comes and you're liberated. Now, what do you do? Uh, and that, that really stuck with me when I read that in his book. So I'm reading your, you know, your critical point three is when treatment ended and my doctors told me I could start my life again. Did you have that feeling or what was going through your you know awareness at that time? You know, when I finished treatment, uh, it was kind of, it was kind of like one of those, uh, you know, the one of those uh little masterminds trying to trying to steal something and you know they get to a point and they say man well i didn't really think i'd get this far and i when that happened i was i remember i was getting chemo it was october 16th of 2016 or 2017 sorry and or was it 2018 2017 i, I think so jeez time flies but uh or yeah so i was getting chemo and I finished it and I went home and I just kind of looked at my mom and was like, I don't know what to do anymore. Uh, you know, they said I, I, it's going to take a couple weeks to recover from this round. But, uh, you know, I, I was, I, it was like, it was like a 5,000 pound weight off my chest. It was like, Holy cow. I, I never have to do right. that anymore. And I've been trying, I hadn't thought about it and I've just been on kind of autopilot mode for so long that it was, I just, it was weird. You know, I weighed 120 pounds. I hadn't gone to school in over a year. 
uh, I have seen the same, you know, 10, 15 faces every single, every single day, every single week, half of them were my doctors and nurses that I'd see all the time. Uh, and all of a sudden, eventually my blood counts, my immune system and everything was good enough to where I could just do whatever I wanted. And I kind of, I thought about it and I was like, okay, I, I guess it's time to start working out and time to start doing what I said I'd do. Uh, so, you know, I, I started going to the gym and I finished radiation, my last radiation treatment on November 27th of 2017. And I started lifting with, uh, my trainer, um, at pro player December 10th. And it, it was like, you know, I gave it two weeks to recover a little bit, be able to breathe because it was radiation on my lungs. And then I was back at it again. It was just, it was weird, but it was amazing. I mean, I was just like, holy cow, I feel like a skeleton right now, but I'm, I'm finally, I'm going to do it again. You know, right. I'm going to be back. And, uh, it was, it was hard, but it was amazing because, uh, you know, I just, I had that opportunity, which a lot of people don't have. And, you know, I, it, it was, but at the same time, it was extremely frustrating because I went from, you know, I was 16 years old. I could squat 300 pounds. I would, could do 25 pull-ups, could do 75 push-ups, And then all of a sudden I come here and I can, I can't even, I could barely move. Uh, I just got to the gym and it was like, you know, I'd do a little bit and he'd say, okay, you know, we got to start you out slow. That's it for the day. And I'd be like, why? <laughs> I want to kill myself. But like, I, like, I want to kill myself with these weights. I want to freaking work my butt off until I can't feel my body anymore. And he, it, it was just like, no, you, you know, <laughs> look at yourself. You can't do that yet. <laughs> and, uh, it was, I was just so weak and my, mu my muscles had atrophied so badly that I could barely do anything. And it was tough, but you know, I'd, I told myself that I was going to grind through it until I could do it again. And I mean, here I am today. You know, critical point three specifically, um, what was important to you during this time? Uh, really, I think focusing on what I was, what I was trying to achieve. Um, I wanted to rebuild my physical body while still taking life one day at a time. I had a completely new perspective on life. Um, I think I, I really understood what was important now. And, uh, you know, no matter how much my pride hurt, I'd show up scrawny and unathletic. I'd put in the work needed and I worked my butt off every day. And, uh, each day revolved around eating, but I had so many side effects from radiation, you know, those burns in my esophagus, they, uh, they ended up scarring up and healing. And that scar tissue, uh, ended up restricting the food going down my esophagus. So I ended up needing uh, uh, procedures every single day or every, every month to stretch out that scarring and which let me, you know, in pain, took me out for a few days and I would, uh, like, you know, I, I could finally eat again. It was just, it was kind of knowing what the end goal was, but still dealing with all the issues. It, it makes, that makes sense to me. Cause you said, uh, there, you know, know the yeah. end goal, but cherishing the day. Right. And, uh, like I said before, it's like, you know, it, it was, it was grinding through every grinding through adversity, I think is the best way to put it because, you know, so many, I still have so many side effects from radiation, especially, uh, that I deal with that it's, it's, it's just grinding through the new problems that come up, dealing with them, but still trying to maintain, uh, 
maintain what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying, right. where I'm trying to get. Right. So focus on the end goal and, and daily metrics to achieve that and enjoying each day. Cause you realize now more than ever, uh, since you've graduated from chemo and treatment and, and uh, radiation. So now it's like today really is a gift. Right. Exactly. And, and Pearson, you and I talked exactly. a little bit about this before, but uh, you know, what were some supporting beliefs that helped you get through mentally these, these three, these three critical points? Uh, I honestly think baseball was the biggest thing. Uh, it was, you know, I've, I fell in love with baseball and I was three years old and I was so pissed off that I was taken out of this game like this and I wasn't going to let that be the end of it. You know, I, you know, so many, so many people when would ask me and talk to me and, uh, just, say, you know, Oh, where are you going to college? What are you going to do? And I was like, what do you mean where I'm going to college? Where am I going to college? I'm going to play baseball again. And they would like, they would almost fall over and they'd be like, what do you mean you're playing baseball again? I was like, what, what do you mean? I'm not playing baseball again. (laughs) And, uh, I think really just baseball and proving people wrong and proving to people that I can do anything, no matter where I come from. Uh, I think that was the, the biggest thing that, uh, kept me through it mentally. Uh, you know, I, I managed to keep a positive attitude through most of my treatment and there's no reason I couldn't keep a positive attitude, uh, during my comeback. Uh, my family and I use humor, uh, you know, dark humor as a defense mechanism to shelter us from how terrible everything really was. My family, friends, and my coaches especially wouldn't let me feel sorry for myself. Uh, RJ Fergus is a really big, uh, is a pretty big mentor of mine that I have, that's gotten me through a lot. He's the coach at hitters. Uh, you know, this is a guy that he called me at college last year and my freshman year last year is kind of a rehab year for me. And he asked how I was doing. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm not doing as well as I want to be doing, but I'm, you know, I'm doing all right. I'm pretty frustrated with myself. And he almost, he punched me in the face through the phone and said, you know, how, why are you feeling sorry for yourself? Look where you are. But he basically said, look where you were a year ago and look where you are today. And he's like, he, he, he used some, some, uh, colorful words in there, but he basically just said, are you like, are you kidding me? And it, it woke me up. And, you know, I remember when I was coming back and playing in that spring league, uh, in the year of my comeback and just him making me run the bases when I could barely run and him making me get out there and play, play the field and do everything that everybody else is doing. And he yells at me just like the other guys. And I do anything wrong. And it's like, wow, you know, a lot of people pity me and a lot of people feel sorry for me for what I've been through. And this is a guy that just will punch me in the face, just like a punch. Anybody you know, else, I, you know, I think that this, <laughs> I, that's incredible. First of all, um, because I, I think there's a lot of value being a student athlete as I was moons ago, many years ago. Um, I, I appreciated the coaches that would the proverbial slap you in the face or punch you in the face um, because there was such, when you did what they asked you to do at that moment and they gave you the, the, this bad gut check when you did it, when you did it, it was not just like, you know, congratulations. It was more of a, I told you, you could do it. Like they were saying, you're going to do yeah. this and, and I'm not taking no for an answer. And you don't value that until it happens. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it was was a blessing to have someone uh, there right, you know, on the field with me that would, would tell me that. And, you know, it's, 
uh, nowadays, and I see him pretty frequently. And yeah, he basically said, you know, he looked at me and said, like, just like you said, I told you you could do it, <laughs> and I knew you'd get here. There's no doubt. Uh, and it's you know, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool to have people that believed in myself. Uh, You're sent the right mentors uh, at the right times in your life, and I've I've learned that in so many different ways. And and my kids are are big mentors in my life because I firmly feel we can learn from everybody. Um, you know, and with, while we're on this topic, uh, you know, I had asked you a question before. Um, how did how did your beliefs change during this process? And and you corrected me, and I love that because you don't change beliefs; you actually update them. You know, like like you said, I I believe that beliefs just adapt and uh you know with time and the life experience that I had to go through it's not you know it's not the life experience that most people have to deal with but with uh with my experiences came more values that transformed my view of life you know with every example of a negative experience that I went through I can give a reason or value that got me through it I can give you something that pushed me through that difficult spot in my life uh, the more experiences that I went through, the more values I created that I could transfer to my life after being sick. So, you know, the more, the, the harder the experience, the better I'm going to come out of it, basically. Like now anything that happens, it's, it's, it's small to me where, you know, somebody's, somebody's broken arm feels like somebody else's, you know, broken entire body. But I'm that person to where, you know, if I, if I fall down a hundred stories, I'm going to crawl, you know find my way back up there and it's everything I just all the values in my life everything my view of life has transformed so much that I'm able to focus on what's truly important to me I was actually I was asked today you know what's you know people saying that what I do what I'm doing is amazing coming back from this is amazing when nothing's changed since I was 16 years old with, with my work ethic, with what I want to do. Uh, when I was 16, I worked just as hard as I do now. And they're like, you know, that's, that's, I just, it's, it's just, I guess it's a little more out there now because of what I went through. But, you know, I'm, a lot of people are like this too, to where, you know, it's, they work their asses off and it doesn't get recognized until something extraordinary happens. And what I'm doing right now may be, cool but you know i nothing's changed this is just who i am as a person and this is what i want and this is what i believe and uh you know this is just something i value in my life and it's to be the to work hard to be the best and i want to i want to be better than everybody at everything basically no i (laughs) to put it bluntly (laughs) absolutely understood and uh this is your uh outcome this is your achievement and and the visions that go with that um Absolutely understood. And and one thing that probably a lot of people don't know is you were drafted out of high school, correct? Tell them a little bit more about that. Uh, So I actually, I got drafted after I started um, in 2018. I graduated in 2017. And that's also when I started uh, getting my body back into shape and doing everything. Uh, I played with hitters in the spring ball in 2018. I was pretty weak and uh, still coming back from everything at the time. But, uh, yeah, my name got called. It was, I was the, uh, 1178th pick in the 39th round drafted by the Cubs. And, uh, I was working out one day and I got a phone call and he just said, I think we have some exciting news for you. And said, said, uh, said, we decided to pick you 
in the 39th round, you know, to be a part of our organization. And it's like, you know, you're this, you know, you're kind of immortalized in, um, in you're part of a small 1% that can say that this happened to them. And it was, I mean, it was one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. You know, I've, I've been a Cubs fan my entire life and, uh, just seeing that hearing someone official tell me that it brought tears to my eyes and it was it was truly amazing you know he said he said we're not doing it because we're not you're not a token draft pick we're not saying oh you know we feel sorry for you and you're a cancer survivor so we're going to do this for you he said what you're doing is amazing we see how hard you're working and we would love to have somebody like you with us one day and he said you know uh, we talked about it and I, you know, we, I said, obviously I'm not in good enough shape right now to do that. But he said, you know, one day I'd hope to see you back on this list. And, uh, it was, I mean, it was, it was amazing to me and it was so cool. And it's something, it just gave me more motivation as to what I'm doing and oh, absolutely. My name's out there. And, and wow, what an accomplishment because not many people get drafted out of high school to begin with and for you to be on the radar and for you to get picked in the 39th round. Um, I think that says a lot about your baseball ability. And, and, you know, we talked about a little bit too, Pearson, uh, the update and beliefs. We also talked about, you know, what strategies and approaches to life that you develop because of these three critical points. You know, I think one of the biggest things are, honestly, they're all pretty important to me. Uh, negative thoughts become realities. And, uh, you know, you can doubt yourself. But, the, you know, if you're frustrated in practice, if anything bad's going on in your life you know once it comes down to it you know if you're taking a test if you're getting stepping into the box during a game you need to tell yourself that uh you're capable of everything you're about to achieve or you want to achieve and uh thinking positive well you know negative thoughts become reality but so do positive thoughts so if you flood yourself with positive thoughts then that's going to impact your daily life uh, the next thing would be being grateful for what you have and never taking anything for granted. Uh, another thing that factors into this would be knowing that other people always have it worse than you. Uh, in my situation, you know, I came across a uh, really close friend. His name was uh, Justin Wagner. He was a catcher at UW Whitewater, and uh, he actually had a similar but more rare type of cancer that I had. And at the, you know, as, as I got better, unfortunately he, uh, didn't, and he, uh, ended up passing away. But this, I mean, I can't speak highly enough of this guy. He, uh, he became such a close friend of mine and he got me through some of the hardest, some of the hardest points in my life, just talking to him, um, him, you know, showing me love that he showed everybody and just encouraging me, telling me to remember what, um, what I'm trying to achieve. And, uh, you know, this just taught me, he really taught me to never take anything for granted. Um, it, uh, you know, just what your parents give you, what your family gives you, your athletic ability, your health, uh, waking up in the morning, everything. Uh, I, I can't, uh, emphasize this one enough because, you know, some people don't get to make it to the next day and it sucks. And, um, you know, it, 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 it just really sucks. It, it, that's the biggest way to put it. Um, my next point would be being smart about the people that you choose to surround yourself with. Uh, if you're surrounding yourself, you know, if, if your goals are to play high level college baseball, 
but you're surrounding yourself with people that will negatively impact that, you know, with uh, making bad decisions, whether it's drugs or alcohol or partying or, uh, you know, just any doing anything that you wouldn't necessarily want to do. Um, yeah, surround yourself with those with the same goals as you. And I think that'll take you a long way. My next thing would be being grateful for the real family and friends that choose to stick by you. Uh, throughout, unfortunately, throughout everything I have been through, I actually lost a lot of friends and some even family that I thought would always be there for me. And I thought they loved me unconditionally. And, uh, you know, some of it, I don't know if some of it was intentional, but, uh, when you need some people, some people just aren't there for you, plain and simple. And that, in my opinion, uh, shows me who your real family is. And I think, and I think that's, that's who you want to surround yourself with. You know, you want to, you want to give yourself, you want to give people the attention that they'll give you and the love that they'll give you. And obviously you want, at the end of the day, you want to be a good Samaritan and help somebody if they're in need. It's just being great, being really grateful for those that will love you truly through anything. I, another, my last one would be the desire to come back stronger and better. Um, everything that I've been through has taught me to be willing to work harder than anywhere else to anyone else to get to where you need to be. Uh, coming in my situation, I basically have to work three times as hard as a normal person because of the setbacks that I have and the setbacks that I started with. And that is, uh, you know, that teaches me not to feel sorry for myself, but to just put my head down and work harder. And, you know, I, I, there's a guy in my team that I, 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 me and him mess with each other all the time. I send him a, send him a text in the morning when I'm working out at 6am and I tell him as he's waking up to go lift, I tell him, I, Hey, I'm already done lifting. I'm working harder than you today. And, you know, it's just little thing. It's little competition. It's little, uh, fun things throughout the day. It's just, but it's in the end of the day, it's just putting your head down and just outworking everybody to be the best and transform yourself. And, uh, you know, I think, I think those things can change your life and they can really help you be as successful as you want to be. So many, (laughs) I had questions in between there, but I didn't want to interrupt you because everything you were saying is like music my ears and I can't wait for listeners to hear it. Pearson, I want to talk about, you know, a couple things really quick. Um, the, the young people that you spent time in the hospital with, um, getting treatment, uh, some you have lost very, very, very sadly. And, and some, you know, um, like you have transformed, uh, their thinking process and, and, and have been given a gift to continue on. Um, how do you keep these people with you when you are practicing, when you are um, conditioning, how do you keep their memories alive? So my, my friend, Justin, that I talked about, actually, I have a tattoo on my right shoulder. Uh, it's a baseball with a cancer ribbon uh, wrapping around it. And I have his initials at the bottom. And, you know, the tattoo is both for me, but also for him and to honor both everything uh, we've been through. But, uh, so that's that. And then I have a wristband with, uh, I have his wristband that he gave me that, uh, I keep, I wear every single day and I probably will wear every single day forever. (laughs) Uh, that is how I constantly keep the reminder of him with me all the time. And, you know, I, I look at that and if I'm tired or feeling sorry for myself, I look at that and it kind of jolts me up and I smack myself in the face a little bit, but, but everybody else, it's, it's just, it's really, 
just remembering the toughest times that I have and remembering that others are still going through that. And, you know, I, I, I knew a little boy that I became friends with that was two when I met him that was had leukemia. And, you know, uh, this kid is two years old and there were times when he was tougher than I was. And I, I mean, he's tougher than 90% of the people out there because this is all this kid knew in his life. Um, he, I keep, I, I really, I always try to remind myself of, you know, the, the smiles that he would give me of the, his little squeaky voice that I would hear all the time that would just, you know, make my day when I was having a hard time. And, uh, and just, you know, hearing his voice telling me that, no, that wasn't so bad when he's taking a needle to the chest. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself, I kind of just say their names in my head and think about memories of how they, how they helped me. And, uh, this actually happened the other day. I was exhausted waking up in the morning and I thought about them and I swung my legs over my bed and got up and got moving, you know, but, uh, it really, it's just, it's just reminding myself of the memories that, and the impact that Absolutely they've had in extraordinary. my life. Thank you for sharing that person. And, um, you know, talk about your mission, you know, what's you, what's your mission? I, I say we all, we all have whys in life. You know, why do you brush your teeth for dental hygiene? Why do you take a shower? You know, these are whys for our behaviors, but we all have what we call a because. And our because is our mission in life. It's why we came here um, and what we have to fulfill um, throughout our lifetime. So tell us about your mission. What's your mission? I think my, my mission is to, uh, to use my negative experience to positively impact others that might need it in theirs. Um, you know, everybody has tough points in their life and whether it's quite as bad as mine, you know, I'd never wish anything that I went through upon somebody else. But, uh, you know, if somebody's going through something, then I want to be able to give them the words that they need to get through it. Uh, I want to motivate others to not take things for granted and to be the best version of version of themselves that they can possibly be. And uh, I think using my situation and my experiences uh, to talk about and, you know, talking about how I got through it and how I dealt with it, I think that could really impact some people. Definitely extraordinary. Um, you know, do, <laughs> I don't really even want this conversation to end because the, the, the information, um, the passion, your story, everything you just shared tonight, uh, Pearson, it's, you truly are extraordinary. When I saw your video on YouTube, the exact thing that came, at first I had tears in my eyes watching this thing. Um, I made everybody in my family sit down and watch it. I literally sent your video on YouTube. You know, if, if people Google your name or just put it on YouTube, it, it comes up like the third, fourth down. Um, so that's how your message is getting out there. I mean, I've, I sent your YouTube video probably to no shy of a hundred people. Um, and they all responded like, wow, wow, wow. I said, yeah. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about, obviously you're playing baseball in college and, and you're not f fundraising, you're not uh, selling anything, um, but your family has done something uh, for the outpatient center that uh, you were at. And um, it's called Giving with <clears throat> Gibby. Did you want to discuss that for the listeners? So my family, uh, we, we, uh, get people or people donate, uh, you know, like $10, $20. And we send, uh, we donate $10 gift cards to the teenagers at the outpatient center 
uh, clinic at Loyola where I was treated. Um, you know, their teenagers are sometimes overlooked, uh, because, you know, there's a toy chest for the kids and we actually, uh, collect toys too, too, because, you know, sometimes, uh, the toy chest runs a little dry and it's, I think it's important to keep the smile on the kids' faces, but, uh, teenagers tend to get overlooked and, we really just try to do anything to make their day a little better. You know, we put Xbox uh, gift cards in there, you know, some to target to Starbucks, to McDonald's, anything that will, that they could say, Hey, I could, I might use that later. And, you know, might bring a little bit of a smile to their face, but uh, yeah, we have collected a great amount of money and people have been really generous and really amazing in that aspect and uh, it's just something that uh, it's my family's way of letting the teenagers know, you know, that not only that they matter, but that they're thought about and that they are not forgotten during this this horrible, dark time in their lives. Well, Pierce and I, again, um, thank you for so many reasons for giving your story. Um, we're going to have all of your information, including the giving with Gibby, um, your uh, if it's okay, your Twitter handle so people can follow you. Um, we're going to definitely put the YouTube video on there. Um, and it, it, that way, if people ever want to contact you, it's, it, it, I think it would be an op- option for them because to reach out to get some inspiration and to follow your progress. Um, I absolutely, I know your work isn't done as a baseball player. You. you have more to accomplish. Um, I truly know you will continue to continue to inspire more people than you possibly know just like i said talking about that youtube video this story um getting the deeper aspect of of, of the things you went through um the, the idea behind the extraordinary me podcast is to create this um stories and metaphors for people out there to to, to connect with and understand that there's someone out there uh, like you said that has it way worse and can create um a, a what i call a mental immunity of how to you know build resistance in your life towards life's challenges and i truly was absolutely inspired tonight um to to be a part of this i can't wait for this message to get out there um anything you would like to end with with to the listeners or 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 another message you'd like to get out there before uh sadly we 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 stop this uh, podcast you know i i think the biggest thing i already said is just to uh to remember the be grateful for everything you have and remember what you're given each day, whether it's your parents, uh, your parents' unconditional love, whether it's, you know, your parents are financially helping you, whether you just wake up in the morning, you know, if you can get up and go for a run, if you can get up and work out, if you are lucky enough to be playing a sport and, uh, you know, be able to work and be successful within it, uh, I think just, you know, just put your head down and keep working hard and be grateful for where you're at. Harrison, you are extraordinary. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, You have a phenomenal 2020 baseball season. We will be following your progress Um, and, and, and go the distance, man. Um, You, you you really are a gift to this world and uh, I'm excited for everything you're going to bring in your baseball career, your family career, um, everything that you will do from this day forward. Uh, and everything you've been through. Um, it's it, it's only going to continue to get extraordinary for you, and it's just been an honor to talk to you tonight, person. Thank you very much.
Dear person, in my time of mentoring and coaching, I have found that in all of us, we are extraordinary. I knew when I first saw your YouTube video that I had to have you on my podcast. Now the world will get to know you and your story even more. The grind you speak of is one of your many lessons that you unknowingly teach thousands of our youth throughout this world. Your story is contagious and inspiring. No one, and I mean no one, should have to ever experience cancer. It is a horrible and stupid disease that claims so many lives. Know that the courage you showed through these in each critical point inspired more people than you know with hope. And even though you may have wanted to quit sometimes, you transformed in every struggle. Know also that the friends you made during your time of deep struggle, you continue to carry their spirit, memory, and courage on in your endurance through the game. Not just baseball, but the game of life. It is my sincere hope that you finish your college career on top of your game, you once again get drafted, and take your vision of playing professionally as far as it can possibly go. You have triumphed over so much already, and there is a reason for that. You will continue to inspire many people to fight any illness they may be facing, and you will continue to inspire the youth of our world that nothing is impossible when you are guided by your heart. Pearson, you are extraordinary. Stay the course. Stay extraordinary. We need you to be. Coach Adam.